Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Faux Real. Today is a very special episode, because I had the grand pleasure of chatting with writer and director Eric Appel, who is the co-writer and director of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which won the People's Choice Award at its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, and in the past year since its release, has scored a DGA Award, is a WGA nominee, and is also an eight-time Emmy nominee. You can watch Weird for free, with ads, on the Roku channel, or stream it on Amazon Prime. And you can even now pre-order it on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD through Shout Factory. Eric and I chat about all things weird, and really get into it, up and down and left and right and all over. It's a wonkavator of fun, really. Eric also gives some juicy and exclusive tidbits about the making of the movie that you will definitely want to hear. We also chat about many of the other great projects he's directed, including the action comedy Die Hard, starring Kevin Hart and John Travolta. As this is a very Weird Al-centric episode, for obvious reasons, I also want to shout out William King and the entire cast and crew of Albuquerque, a Weird Al musical, which debuted on YouTube on November 24th. This very fun, fan-made musical written by King takes beloved characters from Weird Al's music and sends them on an adventure of epic proportions. I play Father Licious, who is an Amish with the tood that raps in rhyme and will twist you into a pretzel if you get on his bad side. You can now watch the entire musical on YouTube. Just search Albuquerque Musical. Don't worry, it'll come up even if you can't quite spell it. I would also like to give a very special shout out to the entire cast and crew of Beautiful, the Carol King musical, which I had the incredible pleasure of seeing last night at the La Mirada Theater, thanks to the team at Table 7 Strategy. The show was absolutely spectacular. Sarah Shepard is perfect in the role as the legendary Carol King, and the fates put me in exactly the right place at the right show because I got to see the wonderful Melissa Musial absolutely electrify the stage with her performance as Cynthia Whale, Carol's longtime writing frenemy. Upcoming productions at the La Mirada include A Christmas Carol, The Nutcracker, and a performance by the legendary Gladys Knight, who performs on my birthday, December 10th. Tickets for all of these performances are selling out fast, so get your tickets as soon as possible at lamaradatheater.com forward slash events. And that's theater R-E, not E-R. You heathens. You will be pleased to know there are no ads in this episode, which is great for you, but also means I need all the birthday and Christmas money I can get. So, if you're feeling jolly, please feel free to play Santa and sell me a gift. With all of that, let's get to it. Without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Eric Appel. Oh 
my God. Okay. So sorry that I am uh, so late to this. (laughs) It's all right. Listen, I know I'm no Dave and Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always so punctual for those guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me uh, today, Eric. I know this has been, we've been trying to do this for a long time. Yeah. Before the movie came out. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you confirmed more than once. And then the strike <laughs> happened. And then I I know that technically we probably would have been safe once the writer's strike ended. Yeah. But I just wanted to make absolutely sure that we could talk about all of the things because why? why I mean, obviously, we have to talk all about weird. And yes. I don't want to get in trouble with, you know, I don't want anybody coming after me with, with the hook or anything like that. <laughs> so, you know, um the beard looks great. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, the, uh, the mustache. I like, thank it. you. That's it's the new me. This mustache. I love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I want to start wearing top hats too. That's my new. Ooh, That's my and new bow ties, maybe. <laughs> top hats, bow ties. Yeah, yeah. I want to look like a um. Uh, I want to look like an undertaker from the old west. I think that's my next. I want like a cape, a cape and a top hat. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that. Um. Yeah, I want to I want to jump into all of the things. I mean, we have sure. a million things to talk about because great. Uh, the great thing about this show is uh, it it can, it goes wherever it wants to go. And, uh, you know, Stephen Ethan got you for a long time uh, talking specifically about weird. And I do want to talk about everything weird. But I also want to talk about all of your uh, your other great work, because you've done a lot of great directing work, including on a lot of shows. Uh, that I've worked on um, that that are really cool. And and a lot of shows that uh, like like Back in the Game and Go oh, On, yeah. which yeah. are shows that I really enjoyed, that didn't last that long. Um, no, no. But, there was a, I did one show. There was a show I directed an episode of called We Are Men. <clears throat> and um, and it didn't even make it to like my episode airing. Like no one has oh, ever yeah. seen... It's funny that like currently, uh, the, you know, shows that are or, and movies that are being written off, you know, as tax, tax write-offs from like Warner Brothers and stuff that you read about. Mm-hmm. But that's a thing that was kind of has been happening forever. <clears throat> like if something wasn't pulling in the numbers, um, like the, this show, uh, uh, We Are Men that I did, it was a CBS show. Um, it was Tony Shalhoub was on it. Uh, Jerry O'Connell cal penn and this guy chris smith it was about like four bachelors living at the oak woods apartments in uh in you know in burbank or whatever (laughs) yeah and and it i think they aired i i must have directed like the sixth or seventh episode cbs pulled it after two and none of the episodes aired and it wasn't, you couldn't buy them. You couldn't rent them. Like it just got shelved and written off and like, no one has ever seen, no one's ever seen. Them. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, that's, that's like, uh, I worked on a, on a show. Um, I forget which network was on. I should remember, uh, back in the game was Fox, right? Back in the game was back in the game was ABC, but it shot at Fox. It was a 20th okay. uh, show. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah, twentieth produced it. Okay, because I I know they do that that kind of stuff all the time. There's there's lots of you know 
in yeah, Brooklyn Nine Brooklyn Nine Nine was like aired on Fox, was owned by NBC, but shot at CBS Radford. <laughs> right, it was like t- touched every single company. Wow, uh, yeah, because I worked I worked on one called Welcome to the Family that they I think they okay. shot like ten or twelve episodes, but they only aired three before it got canned. Um, wow. And I was. Uh, We'll get into this later, but uh, my Amish character that also appeared yes. in Weird uh, during the Amish Paradise scene appeared in the Halloween episode of that show, and then it, it was never aired. I found it because someone had posted it. But Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it, it's funny. There were... Um... It's funny, like how I, I started directing television. I feel like it was like right around the time that streaming, uh, you know, people were starting to stream things and cut the cord, and like viewership numbers were just down across the board. And all of these networks were like chasing a big hit and canceling shows left and right. Like, I feel like every year it felt like it was all brand new shows. Maybe like one or two would survive on each network. The rest would get canceled after, you know, nine episodes or thir- 13, I think. The, yeah, get canceled after 13 episodes. And then where uh, traditionally the back nine of the season would be ordered, they would put up, throw up another midseason replacement to see if that would, um, you know, gain any traction. But there were shows like, do you remember this show called Animal Practice? It was yeah, on which has had a few iterations. They just brought it. Oh, back. there was an animal control show that was that that's yeah, recent. Okay. Oh, with either. Joel McHale, okay. I think. Oh, okay. A- yes. Animal practice was like a uh like veterinarian hospital. It was like an animal hospital, and Justin Kirk from Weeds was like the doctor, and he had like a little monkey, like uh, was his best <laughs> friend. There was a little yeah. monkey that like wore like a like a lab coat <laughs> like oh, wow. a little yeah and uh that was on NBC that got canceled while I was directing it um Whoa. I was d- directed one episode it was the Thanksgiving episode um which this is very timely cuz Thanksgiving was last week yeah. uh it was the Thanksgiving episode I think this was in like 2015 maybe um but I was on day 3 of filming so I was it was Wednesday Wednesday morning, I was shooting this scene uh, with Bobby Lee, where Bobby Lee gets Bobby punched. Lee. He gets punched in the face. There was like a plot in the episode where there was a uh, uh, a turkey like running loose in the hospital, and like a hunter was chasing it. Like someone stole, like someone that worked at the hospital stole the turkey that was going to get killed, and I don't know. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Bobby Lee and, and uh, ends up like meeting this hunter face to face. And he, his whole storyline was like how about how his something with his wife. Anyway, he was like upset and he yells in this guy's face and the guy punches him. I'm in the middle of shooting this scene. And the writer of the episode uh, leans over to me and shows me her phone. And it was deadline Hollywood. And it said, NBC cancels animal practice. And I'm like, well, like we're shooting it. It's, it's 9am. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, I go, does like, does anybody know about this? And she says, 
no, no one knows about this yet. And I was like, oh my God. All right. I'm going to step outside and I'm going to make a phone call. So we're, we're doing a lighting, uh, you know, they're changing a lighting setup. I went outside and I called my manager and I was like, dude, I'm like shooting animal practice just got canceled. Like no one knows yet. Like we, people are starting to read it now. I guess the news leaked before the executive producers could even walk over to the stages from like where their offices are. Anyway, I, on my walk back to set, I'm passing people and everyone, I, I can tell that like word immediately has changed. Yeah. So like people are making quick eye contact and they're looking at the ground as they pass, you know, like, and when I get back to set, it was just like, you know, for, for four hours, we all just kind of sat around like, what are we going to do? Are we going to finish this episode? And, and finally the, uh, all the producers came, uh, came over to set. And they were like, um, we're going to continue filming this episode, uh, but this will be the last episode that we shoot. So like come Monday, they'll start tearing the sets down. And like, we've been guaranteed like this episode will air. So the next two, well, I had to shoot the rest of that day. Plus the next two days, I still had to shoot this like Thanksgiving episode, which was like a heartwarming, like you know, big broad comedy with animals running around and a turkey and like a big Thanksgiving dinner in the cafeteria of the it was insane. And then every time an actor would rap, it would be goodbye forever. Like yeah. it was like a tearful speech. Oh no. Because this was like episode it was a Thanksgiving episode. It must have been like nine, episode eight or nine into the you know. And uh and yeah, people were just like really upset <laughs> crying. So and I, I had just met these people and they're like, I'm hugging everyone. Like, it's all right. Yeah. It was a very, very bizarre experience. Yeah, but very- that that was like in this stretch. I just happened to over the course of like a couple of years, um I got this nickname the closer because I just like by chance was like directing the last episode oh, of multiple shows that got canceled and it's like not like they got canceled because of my episode i just happened to be there when they got the news um so like there was animal practice that was that was one um there was a show called selfie um with karen gillen with karen gillen i watched every episode i love her uh, uh, yeah she's uh incredible and it was a really fun show and i feel like it just people didn't like that it was called selfie and then it never really found its audience and it never recovered from like a bad title that I'm sure they were forced to have like by the network or some right. marketing yeah. research or, or whatever. Um, but it was, uh, cause it was my fair lady. She played Eliza Doolittle. It was like, it was my fair lady as like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love John Cho. It was just like a fantastic cast all around. Um, but I directed an episode of that and then they brought me back to do episode 13 and episode 13 happened to be the them. final episode and it's, and they didn't renew it for the rest. That same season, there was a show called A to Z that was on NBC. I watched that. Josh Rand. That was a great show too. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ben Queen created that. He was a Pixar writer. Um, uh, and that was a really fun, fantastic show. It Kristen Milioti. It, it was very a sweet. Rom-com. Yeah, yeah, it was like a, it was a really sweet rom com, and I directed. That was another one where, like, I did an ep- I directed the Halloween episode, and then they liked my work, so they brought me back, and it was they brought me back for episode thirteen, 
And then they didn't get, you know, they didn't get the back nine. So that one went away as well. And then there was one more. Oh, Up All Night. Do you remember this show? Um, yes, yes. I do. Um, yeah. Up All Night, I did an episode of. And again, this was like a fantastic experience, a really fun episode. Um, the band, the Silver Sun Pickups were in our episode. I got to shoot like a concert thing. Oh, wow. We got to do, we got to shoot a um, movie. Uh, they like went, it was like about them going on like date nights and getting a babysitter mm-hmm. and trying to live like they lived when they were young, Christina Applegate and, uh, and Will Arnett. So they they went out to dinner with friends. It was Rob Hubel and Maya Rudolph were like oh, the friends so that they fun. were out with yeah, and all yeah, these. Yeah. So then we did it. There was a Silver Sun pickups concert that we shot at some club in Hollywood. And then we got to shoot them seeing a Bollywood movie at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So we had like hundreds of background actors oh, and like cool. this big, huge. And uh, so they immediately booked me for another episode which was really very soon after the first one and the day of the table read that I got a phone call that was like, Hey, don't bother coming in for the table read. They're pulling the show. They're not canceling it, but they're retooling it. I don't know if you remember this. They, they retooled it as a (laughs) multi-cam like sitcom where, where, but it was going to be like, I think it was going to be like continue like they were going to the characters were going to like tra- like travel through a portal or something and end up in they like, turned it a, into a multicam sci-fi. Yeah, they turned it into like a really weird high concept. Like, all right, let's try this, and uh, and it almost got made, but but they, you know they they didn't end up doing it. Wow, yeah. Hollywood. Hollywood yeah yeah really crazy (laughs) that's that's totally nuts um I mean yeah that that happens so much and it just yeah it's really like more than we realize I know and for for five years I'd say like early in my tv career I guess I I you know I I started I worked at funny or die and I made like my own yeah I'd made the weird trailer right um and then I started uh I started getting some TV work, adult swim stuff. I did this show called NTSF SD SUV. I did a couple of Eagle Heart episodes. Like I was kind of bouncing around. I did this show called Death Valley on MTV. You know, I was doing the all, all the, the sort of alty comedy stuff. Um and then I made the transition into like network TV around 2011. I did an episode of The Office. Um, and that like got me that into was your catapult that was my catapult into uh into something that i kind of don't do anymore um i because i'm i i've always like written to i started as a writer i was writing sketch comedy and i was like performing improv and stuff um then i just started getting kind of recognized for my directing a little bit more and i and i originally wanted to follow i wanted to make movies um and I just happened to like fall into this TV directing thing. And it was, I mean, the money was fantastic and I did, just had a kid and, and then a second one, you know, a couple of years later. And uh, it was like really good, steady work being a journeyman uh, TV comedy director and just sort of bouncing around from network to network. 
Um, but it really wasn't like artistically fulfilling at all for me. Um, uh, I felt like, oh, I'm here to just kind of technically execute what the writers put on paper, you know, and not really put that much of my own creative stamp on it. I did more so with the, um, with like the Comedy Central and and Adult Swim and MTV stuff, but but once I got into that network world, it was very much like these are the writers, this is their show. You, you're here as a guest. We're paying you a very good amount of money to kind of just, you know, you can suggest things, but like yeah. you're. It's nice when that college fund is is building very quickly, though. It's uh, oh, I mean, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> um, and but I ended up kind of hitting a wall creatively. Um, you know, once I kind of reached the end of that path, which was on this show called son of Zorn that I did, that was on. um, Oh yeah. 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 Uh Um, which I thought was going to be like just the most creatively fulfilling thing because I got in early. I did the pilot and I was an executive producer, but it, you know, it was just, uh, a little bit too much of like the bureaucracy of making something for, you know, by committee. Um, it was, uh, but anyway, doing all that journeyman TV stuff, that's, it, it, it's funny. You get to see, you really get to learn so much about how network television works, or I guess worked because it's not, doesn't really work anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's changing so much. Um, I kind of got out of it at the right time and, and made my, um, you know, made my move into, into features, uh, with weird. Right. And then you also, although, well, you also did Die Hard. I did. Which I just watched. Okay. In movie. As oh, a movie, you watched it the Amazon version. version. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. Uh, I watched it on Prime. I know okay. you can still watch it in series form on the Roku channel. Yeah. Shouts to the Roku channel. We yes. Are. Yeah, we love um, the Roku channel. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> um, so I know you, you shot it as a movie right but then they broke it up into pieces for quibi is that is that kind of how it went yeah it's a little it's a little trickier than that actually it's um well first i'll tell you how i i got the job in the first place Mm -hmm. um it was uh al and i had just written weird um we uh we started working on the outline for weird and everything uh early in 2019 i think it was maybe in the summer we pitched it around everywhere and and got passed on by everyone in town yeah um and then i decided i you know i told al we should just write go ahead and write the script um which we did uh, smartly. I'm very happy that we did it that way. And we finished the script at the end of 2019. And then at the beginning of 2020, uh, we, you know, started talking about actors and, and sent mm-hmm. it out to, uh, Daniel Radcliffe to read. Who loved it? Who loved it? Who loved it? So right before, like, I think maybe it was the week that we sent it to Radcliffe. I, um, randomly got this phone call from my manager at 5 p.m. on a Friday. And he said, hey, uh, do you like Kevin Hart? And I said, uh, yeah, of course. Kevin Hart's great. Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah, I really loves Kevin Hart. And he said, 
um, well, how would you like to direct a Kevin Hart movie? And I was like, um, what's the movie first? And he goes, well, it, it, so here's, he goes, you, you've heard about Quibi. I said, yes, we pitched weird to Quibi. And they said, no. <laughs> um, so he was like, well, here's the deal with these Quibi things. So, uh, it, it, it's, it's a movie, but it's a Quibi series. So, you know, basically it's like a 95 page movie. Um, but it's formatted in chapters. So it's like a movie that is broken into 10 chapters. And the conceit is that you will make this movie. Um, it will be episodes that air on Quibi one a day for 10 days, I guess. So mm-hmm. a commuter could watch the movie in 10 minute bursts on the train right. or the bus or whatever, yeah. or while they're working out or who, who oh, I, I don't understand. I still don't understand how people were expected to consume yeah. Quibi shows. Um, but the idea was that then Quibi just acts as like an exhibitor. So they don't own the, the show or the movie. It is owned by the company that produced it, which is heartbeat Kevin Hart's company in that case. Um, and after a two-year exhibition window, the rights to this project revert back to the company that produced it. So Heartbeat, after two years, gets the right back rights back, and then they can do what they please with those episodes. They could flip, they could sell them as episodes somewhere else, or they could stitch them together as a movie and uh you know sell that movie to markets that didn't necessarily have well i mean like no one had quibi but even roku um roku you know currently i think only exists in like the us the uk canada and mexico mm-hmm. um so anyway that that all gets explained to me and i was like okay sure uh but well so what's the deal with this movie they go so it's like an action comedy uh at the time it wasn't even called Die Hard it was called Action Scene. It's like a movie about it's like a it's about Kevin Hart trying to be an action hero. And I'm like, okay. Um and they said here's the catch. They just fired the uh, the director of this thing today. They they just creative differences. Oh boy. Um they let go of the director today and uh but they just started prep this week in Atlanta. So if you, you have to read the script tonight, you have to tell us like tomorrow, first thing in the morning, if you like it or not, you have to get on the phone with Kevin Hart. And then if all goes well, we make your deal on Sunday, you sign your contract. And on Monday, you're on an airplane to Atlanta where you will spend the next two and a half months. No pressure. No pressure. So I'm like, okay. So I read it. I'm like, yeah, it's really funny. And I met the, I, I talked to the writer and I got like the, the real story behind this whole thing. And, and he had been brought on to do a rewrite. The original version of it was written by Derek Kolstad, John Wick, the John Wick creator. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, who's like great, fantastic writer, wrote the John Wick movies, wrote Nobody. Um, uh, Still got to see Nobody. Oh, I know Nobody is great. Thing. I got it. Kirk as an action hero is something that you never knew that you needed until you see it. That's, that's what I've heard. Um, so, uh, 
so anyway, Colstead wrote it and then whatever Quibi, it, it, it was, it was kind of a too expensive to produce kind of situation. Like the budget for this thing was only $10 million. Um, uh, so they brought on Tripper Clancy to do a rewrite, but they didn't like change the directors. So like when the director that was originally on it showed up to Atlanta, he, he kind of was showed up ready to make the old version of it. Uh, and he was like, I don't, I don't love this new version, you know? So they were like, all right, look, let's make a swap now while we can, before we get too deep into prep. Yeah. Um, so I came onto that. There was no one cast. The casting director, um, Nancy Nayer, started like right after I did, like the same week as me. Um, so like other than Kevin Hart, there was no cast. So like in it, in those next two weeks, we cast John Travolta and Natalie Emanuel, John Renault, Josh Hartnett. And it was like, I had to get on the phone with Travolta, like the following weekend, he called me, uh, you know, Holy crap. and, and, and like, I can only assume that he thought that I had been like incubating this project for a long time. As most directors sure. do, you spend years developing something. There's a movie yeah. that I'm making for Sony that, you know, I was supposed to make during the strike and, and I've been attached to since basically the month that weird premiered in toronto i've been attached to this jack black movie and you know i've done a couple of rewrites on it and like as you, you know hopefully we're going to be shooting it this summer but oftentimes you spend a long time developing these projects so i had to get on the phone with travolta after having i like i just read the script the week before and i had to and i had to like kind of bullshit my way through you know, yep. hey, here's what I th- here here's what I you know want from your character and... on that top hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, that 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 went well, and and uh, and I I stepped into this thinking like I had never done a, a movie before, even though this was sort of like a weird hybrid movie, and because it was Quibi, you had to shoot it for vertical video as well as like landscape video so it was like tiktok style plus you know regular youtube landscape style and crazy yeah so we had to shoot with two cameras and like at all times making sure at least one camera was like protecting for that frame and we shot the whole thing in 20 days this is why i was so prepped to shoot weird and in 18 18. yeah because i was like yeah i just did this i juggled kevin hart and john travolta for 20 days and there's action scenes in that you know huge action Um, scenes yeah yeah it was really um and and it went really smooth and it was a great shoot and i got there and they just kind of handed me the keys it was like hey man this is your thing um the division of kevin hart's company that was producing this was like kind of like the new media division it wasn't the normal um feature film pipeline it was like you know the people that would do his youtube shows or stand-up specials and stuff we were trying to make this feature quality thing so anyway it was a great like at the end of the day it was really fun great experience um uh i learned a lot making it um and then putting it together as a feature that was the one tricky thing because you know, because it was written <clears throat> for Quibi, 
first and foremost. Every 10, it has to feel episodic. And every 10 minutes, every you know, seven breaks. to 10 minutes. Yeah, you need like a cliffhanger. You need like a chapter break. So typically a movie, the first act of a movie is, you know, 20, 25 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Before before you, you get into your second act. Our problem was we basically had to get into our second act like at the beginning of the second chapter, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it didn't didn't necessarily feel like there was enough nutrition in that first chapter. Like um, Kevin's world wasn't like fleshed out quite enough. And um, so like by the time he shows up at Ron Wilcox Action Star School, I don't know. It's like you don't really know the character and what his wants and stuff are, you know. There, there just like wasn't really enough first act. So, um, it's funny that like then when it went to Amazon, there's a lot of like kind of negative reviews that are like, this doesn't feel like a movie. What is this Kevin Hart movie? Feels like some cheap TV thing. And I'm like, uh, well, it's kind of is some cheap TV thing uh, right. that was stitched together as a movie. Um, now after Quibi went under, Roku bought Die Hard the series and, and a lot uh, of the Quibi library and a lot of the Quibi library. Yeah. And they had green and Quibi had greenlit a second season of Die Hard. Um, so that I, I was lucky enough that like when it went to Roku, they were like, okay, Roku is going to do this second season of Die Hard now. And we threw out the old script that we had for a sequel. It was, it was more of a direct sequel that had Travolta in it and all this stuff. I think we were like, not not enough people really saw the first Die Hard to warrant making a direct sequel where you had to have seen the first one. So the second one, in my opinion, at least, was a little bit more of a reset. You know, they let us do it in eight episodes instead of 10. So we got to have like a 15-minute first episode that feels a little more like a movie's first act. Um, That's we just got to pace it a little bit and I, I got to develop it a little bit more. Um, this, you know, the first one I was just kind of handed a script and it was like, go, go make this good luck. Yeah. The second one I was with like along the way, the entire time giving notes on scripts, suggesting things, you know, meeting with the writer, uh, Tripper Clancy, who I love and, uh, you know, shooting the second one was a bit more of a challenge. There was a, uh, yeah, it was just a kind of a harder shoot. We had a little less time. Um, and I had just done Weird. And I was shooting Die Hard while Weird was like premiering. So like I had to leave Die Hard to fly to Toronto to go to the premiere. Whoa. And then like do that whole weekend. And then on Monday, fly back to set direct for the full week. Then I had to get on a plane the next weekend, like fly to, you know, the premiere you know, fly back, finish Die Hard. And even like when I was editing the second Die Hard, that was, you know, also like I had to leave post for a week to go to Mexico City to premiere Weird. And I went to like a, a couple of film festivals and New York Comic Con. And, and, uh, sure. yeah, it was like really exhausting doing like the whole promotion train while I was like finishing this project that was a little bit underfunded and a little bit, um, 
you know, we had like a really tight schedule. I had to deliver that movie. I had to deliver every episode of Die Hard 2 by Christmas, basically, of last year. So, so in 2022, we started prepping weird at the beginning of the year. Um, we shot weird in, in February, March. Yep. Um, went right into editing. Uh, while we were in post, we had sort of like a month and a half of kind of downtime while we were waiting for like VFX shots to come in. Hmm. I went and directed two episodes of the after party for Apple TV. Right. <laughs> season two, which, one of which was the first episode of season two, which is like a new, it, it's like a movie in and of itself. Um, I had 18 days to shoot those two episodes, which is exactly what I had to shoot weird. Um, and then the day that I turned in my editor's cuts of, or my director's cuts of after party, I went to the mixing stage, spent two weeks mixing weird. The day we laid our final, the day after we uh, laid the final mix down, I got on a plane and went to Atlanta to do Die Hard 2. So like that was my, so my, it was just a really uh, insane. You're just chugging Red Bull after Red Bull for a month. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was really, it was quite a year. Um, And then this one, this year, you know, with the strike and everything, this one's been, um, you know, not as uh, nice financially, but it's kind of been a little, I feel like the, the break that I was forced to have, um, is it really helping me out in the long run? Right. As soon as the strike ended, I got back into doing another rewrite on that Jack Black movie that I'm doing. And I'm happier with this rewrite than I am with the one that I did before. And, you know, things work out. That was that the, the deadline that you were talking about before when. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, that was my crazy script deadline that I was on. I, uh, I didn't get it, but I auditioned for a Jack Black Christmas movie um that's gonna be i thought i thought it was maybe gonna come out this year but maybe not um was it the one they were just made yeah it was uh yeah was it shooting in atlanta no yes yeah yes i believe so it was a fairly brothers thing right yes that's right Mm -hmm. yes yes yeah uh yeah yeah i I think he's like plays satan right it's like a santa satan uh, thing from what i understand the the kid writes a letter um, and writes it to Satan instead of Santa. That's funny. So, you know, Jack Black is, of course, yeah. Satan. Yeah, that's it really funny. like a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, you know, the other thing, oh, just back to Die Hard for a second. The other thing that Die Hard uh, brought me was Jamie Kennedy, uh, the editor of Weird. I right. met her doing Die Hard. I, um, that was in my notes. I was going to bring her up later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was <laughs> recommended to me. Um, she was recommended to me by my friend Ryan Case, who directed another Quibi show called uh, Flipped um, with, with Caitlin with... Olsen and uh, yes. Forte. Yeah. I enjoyed and Arturo one. Castro, who ended up being yeah. our Pablo Escobar. Um so yeah, Jamie had edited all the episodes of Flipped and, and Ryan was like, Jamie's great. She came up under me at um, Modern Family and uh, and I think you'll love her. And she knows how to format, how to do the, she's dealt with these quibby things and the mm-hmm. shooting it two ways that, and all yeah. that. Um, and we really hit it off. And I was like, you know, 
Oh, I mean, well, COVID happened while we were in post. That's the other crazy thing. We, um, sure, of course. <laughs> like the day after we wrapped production on the first Die Hard, I got on a plane, came back to, uh, it was like, it was back when people were like wiping down their seats on the plane and like no one was wearing masks yet, but everyone was like wiping everything. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I got back here and I went, to the post house and and met Jamie and we did one day of editing together. And the next day I was told don't come in and we did everything remotely from, for the rest of it. Such a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's funny, like COVID was still, you know, when we made weird, it was still COVID. We were all in masks. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, COVID protocol. Yeah. You dealt with it. (laughs) And uh, I was lucky enough that, I have this office um, in Burbank that I rent. I used to share it with someone, but right before the pandemic started, he moved out and I never got like another office mate, which was financially kind of sucked because I'm paying for this whole place that could easily fit like probably four people. Um, But I got to move like editing here because there were no editing facilities. You know, you still couldn't go to the editing facilities then. So I said, oh, well, let's like move the equipment to my office and like we can just kind of you know quarantine together or like be a uh you know covid family here in the office like we'll all test once a week and like so we could work together unmasked you know in Mm -hmm. in my in my little office and uh yeah and that's how we that's how we did did weird wow all all right here (laughs) (laughs) i I can I can just feel the uh, the essence and the spirit. I mean, you've got. I mean, I have. You've got the poster back there. Which which award is that? Just below the poster. Well, this is this is Al's head from the uh, mansion scene with Madonna. That's the yes, bust. Yeah, yes, that is the yes. bust of Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, um, which Dan awesome. Butts, production designer, gifted me. Um, he made like a little. Uh, there's like a little placard on it and everything like yeah, the bust of Weird Al presented to, you know, director. Right. Um, so yeah, I have that. That's there. This, this was like a candle um, that the makeup uh, department gave um, as a wrap gift. It's uh, it's got, it's like the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus, but it's Evan as Madonna holding like right. a little, and then I got, yeah, they, we have the Producers Guild Award, the Satellite Award, and the Critics' Choice Award all there. Oh, and uh, fingers crossed that, you know, I have I get to have an Emmy uh, joining them soon in January. I cannot tell you how excited I am for you and Al and, and, the, and the whole bunch. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, um, it's, I mean... For myself, just as a fan, yeah, I I just I glow every time uh, something else is announced that you know because to be able to pull that off in eighteen days, yeah, yeah is insane for any filmmaker. And you know, um, I, back to Die Hard for a second. Yeah. I watched it as a movie, and I I will tell you, I didn't I didn't notice that it had weird transitions or weird chapter marks. Oh, great. I watched it specifically as a movie uh, to, to get the whole full effect without, without the, the bumps and the curves. Yeah. And you really do have 
such a smooth comedic style that, Thank you. that I I do notice in the stuff, you know, the the TV that you directed, um, the movies more so, but I do notice it in the TV episodes that you've directed. You really do have that that algorithmic, like just comedy magic that goes into your directing style. And I, I just really enjoy it. Of course, it's absolute perfection and weird. I I don't know if you can tell. Oh, man. Yes, yes, yes. What are the few? I am repping. The <laughs> I love it. I love it. Story t-shirt that I got from Hot Topic. Uh, I, I know. know. I, w- I wish they sold those in store. That would have been awesome. Right? Yeah. Yeah, my wife and daughters both have, have those. I love every time they throw them on. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, that, but thank you for saying that about like the flow. I mean, that's such a, um, really that is kind of the stamp of any director's style. Just like, how does it feel? Right. Like, how does the movie feel? And that's something that I thought about a lot. Um, when, you know, when making weird and especially when editing weird, um, and you know, I have to give some credit to, um, Max Silva and Leah Booman, who were, were two of the producers um, from Tango Entertainment. So before we um, before we partnered with Roku, Tango was the they were independent financiers. They could finance movies up to three million dollars if once they crossed that threshold, they had to find partners. So they came in as our first money. They were the first people that came in and said, I get this movie. I want to do this movie. Like, we love this. Um, Beautiful. And for whatever reason, couldn't we couldn't pull it together. Maybe because it was during COVID and financing right. indies during COVID was hard. But we couldn't find the rest of the money. And um, once Roku took over, they they swallowed the whole project. They took it completely and um they took ownership of it you know tango and funnier died remained on as producers right so uh but max and leah are like true indie film producers uh and speak that language and i had never made a movie before and i'm really thankful that i had the two of them um there with me just to just to sort of speak that language of film to me. And we talk, I remember talking to Leah a lot about like the feel, like how does it make you feel like that's all we care. Like, I mean, the story is the story and like these, Mm -hmm. but like, how does it feel? It has to feel a certain way. (laughs) And that's why we love movies because they made us feel a certain way. And I think finding, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so like finding those rhythms in in the movie and just sort of the musicality of like how that how how it all kind of presents itself and the, and the feeling you get when you watch it and when to take those breaks and take those breaths and you know I've talked about this quite a bit um some of the jokes and stuff that you're that you will see in the deleted and extended scenes on the Blu-ray when it comes out <laughs> um you know a majority of these things that were cut out was like endings of uh, of scenes that undercut 
the the uh emotional beat you know yeah it was like you know something happens and you want to end the scene on someone's poignant uh, you know someone's expression someone looking pensive someone looking regretful uh someone looking scared uh, and then and then give the audience like that breath to just kind of sit in that and think about oh like how can i how do i relate to that experience and how does that make me feel and like you know you want them to sort of feel what the character's feeling before you bring them bring them on to the next thing and and you know we had written all these funny jokes but they undercut that moment in so many scenes Mm -hmm. that we ended up pulling them out and it was all just to preserve that like that flow that flow where which is a really which is a hard line to walk because I'm trying to not just make it a funny movie. Like I want it to be more than just a funny movie. It's not just a collection of jokes. It's not just a like parody of biopics. Um it has its own heartbeat, you know, which is Daniel Radcliffe's. Yeah bizarre version of weird al that he has created and and... every second of it and you can tell that in every moment he's on screen you really can that 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 joy from him first reading the script yeah uh, all the way to the very end and he gets blown away is just you know he loves it uh yes yeah he did he really did he enjoys doing the off the wall stuff so much. I yeah. mean, Swiss Army, uh, Swiss Army Man. That's a crazy fucked up movie. It I is, yeah, it's, so it's totally crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's it is totally crazy. I mean, thank God he did that movie because that's one of the yeah. You know, it's the first thing that I thought of when it was like Daniel Radcliffe. I'm like, oh man, yes, Radcliffe is totally gonna get what we're going for. I mean, he did Swiss Army Man, like yeah. yeah. It's funny when, when, uh, as soon as the movie, uh, as soon as weird got announced, I know that Daniel's a little bit, um, and, uh, uh, and they wrote me, they emailed me, um, like as soon as it got announced and they were like, dude, we are so excited about your weird Al movie. Like you're going to love Radcliffe and like anything that you need. We know people who are, who like, you know, would, would crush it. Um, and uh and actually our special effects guy Jonathan um did he also did um uh everything everywhere all at once he was right, like right, the right, special right. effects for them he's yeah. the guy that built our egg that he yeah. built the egg that Daniel comes out of and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he yeah he 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 all the squibs and you know gunfire uh stuff you know was all what uh, a treat what what an absolute treat to 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 have that level of expertise, yeah, you know, on your set uh, that yeah. you get to work with every day, uh, I, I just, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky, I, I, I'm very lucky that it, this was Al, you know, like that. People love Weird Al, and uh, mm-hmm. and people love Al Yankovic, the guy as well, yep. you know. Um, but like people love Weird Al and it's it's everyone that worked on the movie was like passionate about it and just like so psyched to be like, oh, my God, I'm doing this Weird Al thing, this like crazy Weird Al thing. 
with Daniel Radcliffe, like, um, you know, so it was a joy to come to set every day and everyone was really just giving their best. Um, just knowing what the potential of this project could be. And I'm so, so happy to see, um, some of those people getting recognized with awards and the fact that Jamie already won an editing award for it. And, you know, Zach and Leo, um, Leo Berenberg, I, I, he, he was the, our composer on son of Zorn. Um, Mm -hmm. I met, I was a fan of his, I, I I was a fan of this show called big time in Hollywood, Florida. Did you ever see that? It was on, no, look it up, find it. It's great. Red hour produced it. Ben Stiller produced it. Um, it's uh it was on Comedy Central, it ran for one season. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it, uh Jason Alexander. It's oh great. Really crazy, but it's very like Michael Madsen has like a really crazy, funny character in it. Uh it's like these three guys are are these three like dumbasses making a making a movie end up getting right. in like way over their heads and and getting involved with like criminal activity and stuff. It's like Breaking Bad if Breaking Bad was a half hour comedy. Amazing. So I remember seeing this show and uh the music it, it like it felt the the show felt so cinematic. It felt like a movie and I and the music was so like movie score uh it, it, it was it was like really great mu- movie score and i thought this is a comedy central show like how the hell I, this is not the kind of music that you hear in in comedy television you know i'm like did they are these pre-existing like library tracks that they just cut to and um i ended up find i found out that it's it was this guy leo bierenberg uh who was the composer and he was a young guy who's like in his mid twenties. Um, and he had gone to college with like the guys that created the show who were also young guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I went to his website and I like cold emailed him and I was like, Hey man, I love big time in Hollywood, Florida. I here's something crazy. I have this show at Fox. It's a live action animation hybrid Lord Miller producing it. Um, I, I really want like a great cinematic, score for this show i think there's a lot of really cool stuff that could be done with the music kind of blending that like half hour network comedy with uh like an 80s action hero he-man type show i think there's like really cool stuff we could do together Mm -hmm. and whatever we partnered up on it and and uh god he wrote, wrote such great stuff for it um he was like an apprentice for under like christoph beck and, and so he, uh, so Leo had like, I didn't even know this at the time, but he had written and, and arranged music that was in Frozen and Ant-Man and R.I.P.D. and The Hangover 3 and the Peanuts movie. Nothing and like anyone saw. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, we're getting this like movie quality guy. Yeah, for you know, sure. At like a pretty good price for this. Anyway, I've brought him onto everything. Um, Zach Robinson was was this guitarist, uh, this like incredible guitarist that started composing with Leo. They did Cobra Kai together, mm-hmm. and then uh, so then the two of them did Die Hard, and then then I brought them onto Weird as well. But it's so great seeing those guys get like awards recognition, um, and you know casting like every everyone that was involved. I I I feel bad 
that more people, you know, production design and makeup and co- and costumes. And uh, I feel bad that some of those folks didn't get nominations, but it's a really tough um, being a movie made for television is a really tough category to be in because we don't have our own category. Um, we do when it comes to like best movie made for television. Right. But we share all the rest of the categories with limited series. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, we're up against these really high budget Netflix projects and, um, you know, uh, even some of the TV movies we're up against, like we, you know, our budget was under, we made our movie for under $10 million. We're up against stuff like Hocus Pocus 2 and Prey, which are like, he made theirs for over $50 million. (laughs) Right. Um, so yeah, it's weird kicks those right, right into (laughs) Thank you. I do love those movies. Prey Um, was, Prey was fantastic. Speaking of makeup, I got to bring up the wonderful Pat Bardot, uh, who you worked with, uh, before Weird on a really, a really wild and uh, really strange and fantastic 15 second film called Link Clone. Yes. And I thought it was one of those uh, funny or die pieces that you had worked on, but this was a separate entity, right? This was a Heineken commercial, actually. <laughs> yeah. I saw like... that the sponsor was Heineken, but I, I was like, so was it like a Super Bowl commercial or something? No, it was a really weird. So it was actually like one step in a multi-step ad campaign for Heineken where basically they were like, I can't remember what the, what the conceit really was. I I think like making people's dreams come true or like giving people amazing experiences or something. Uh Um, So basically the, um, there was a contest that they held on Twitter um, to tweet a uh, 15 second movie pitch or something. Oh, that was the, okay. Because that's the thing at the end of it. Yes. Yeah. The award. So tweet. Okay. Yeah. So like a bunch of people submitted, you know, tweets to this and the guy that won the tweet was, you know, they clone scientists clone Abraham Lincoln, but the clone turns out to be and make him president for life. But the clone turns out to be evil. So I basically turned that tweet into a 15 second movie, which it just, it feels like a trailer, but it's just shots. You know, it's like eight shots that, that are are like the plot. I watch it like three times in a row. Yeah, it's like a scientist. Yeah, a scientist celebrates having just come up with something. Then you see a uh, naked Abraham Lincoln emerging from like a sci-fi tube full of fog. And then uh, and then a newspaper headline that he's elected president for life. And then when he's being sworn in, he slaps the Bible out of the guy's hand Uh and then his eyes glow red. Um. And that's it. And then, and then the joke was like that the credits are longer than like way longer than and, the thing was. And they are, which is it had me laughing so hard about that. So, th- so this was so that was part one of this ad campaign. Then what they did was they 
the guy that wrote the tweet, they flew him to New York City. No kidding. And they they had a premiere for this Are you 15 serious? second movie at the Tribeca Film Festival. And what? Robert De Niro came out and intro. <laughs> yes. Yes. What? Which like I I don't know if you could find that anywhere uh, online because I'm sure they released a video of all well, that. I'm gonna look, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're done. But like Robert De Niro met the guy and like came out and did an intro and we had a red carpet and stuff like they flew me to New York. I went to this premiere. They had a big premiere party that Heineken threw. Holy crap, man. Yeah. And it was all just, it was all just promoting this, this ridiculous little thing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that the Abe Lincoln that, guy, that's, that you, that's right where I was going, buddy. That's right where I was going. Okay. Okay. I'll let you, I'll let you say it. So uh, the gentleman that plays Lane Clone yes. is Robert Brasky, uh, who is, uh, he is Lincoln. Yeah, he's, he's the guy. He's, if anybody wants to cast Lincoln, they, yep. that it's him. He's got an appearance manager that literally hires him out to be Lincoln or an Amish. Yes. In which he appears as, with me in the Amish <laughs> choir, in yes. We Are the Al Yankovic story. <laughs> You know what? When I I started talking to him because he's standing right to my left, yeah, uh, or he's standing, yeah, he's standing right beside me on yes, the yes. on the thing, and I you know struck up a conversation with him, and and he's he's very he's a very like chill yeah he's a soft spoken guy very, very soft spoken like, and he wouldn't he would. He he was only there as an Amish. He wouldn't tell me his name. I was like, "Well, let me follow you on Instagram or something." I was like, well, let's ju- let's just do our thing. He was very like he was fully. <laughs> That's really funny. He's just in <laughs> character. Um, yeah, and I, he's you like, know, I don't he's use. He's got technology. like seventy five credits as you know as Lincoln as Lincoln. He's, gonna, uh, he's appearing uh, as Lincoln in this indie feature that's getting ready to to come out that's, yeah that's i couldn't so believe awesome. like when i spotted him it was the morning that we were shooting that stuff and 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 i saw him like over in background holding and uh and i was like walking by first thing in the morning to get like my breakfast or, or whatever i was walking uh-huh. to put my bag in my trailer yeah, or yeah, something yeah. and i was like hey dude i directed that remember that link clone thing for uh-huh. uh, that i don't know if he, he was like oh yeah I'm like, yeah, this is my movie, man. This is my movie. I like that's so crazy. I cast you as Lincoln, yep. and now here you are. Yeah, right, right back at it. That's amazing. What hey. was your experience like on that day? Was it fun? Come on, you know what it was. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was it crazy? Was it fun? Was it like? I mean, I was so in my own world, and I didn't know. I talked to David Ethan about this a little bit about their experience on that day, and I'm like, I knew that they were. Like yeah. they were so forward with like, they flew out and I'm like, let me put you guys like up front and center. Um, yeah. But yeah, like what uh, we didn't really know each other. So what, what was, yeah. What no, was your, uh, this is our, this is our first real conversation. It we, is. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I sort of uh, careened myself into your, uh, your social circle at, uh, at the orange fest. Yes. Uh, yes. Or, earlier this year. Was it last? Yeah. Yeah. That was this year. That was I this year. Nothing. In the spring, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I just noticed they released the trailer for the for the next one, so that's oh cool. That's oh, like. that's awesome. Um, but uh, 
it was it was the most glorious day of my life. Uh, oh, that's you, so, it, I love that. It was, um, and you were, you were, you were in director mode, but every time you floated in and out, you were, you were just like, you know, you were doing your thing and you were very direct, but you were kind about it. You were oh, great. That's great. About it. Um, the way you interacted with the crew was just, was, was very, um, was cool to see. It, yeah. it was such a good set to be on. And I know you and Al really cultivated that. You've talked yeah. about that before. And it really was such a, uh, it was really such a wonderful set environment. Um, even when we weren't on set, when we were at Crafty, it was such a good, you know, uplifting, buoyant energy. Yeah. I actually, I actually almost physically ran right into Al and Suzanne going to crafty because I had grabbed my food and I wasn't paying attention. And I, it it was very, it was a very rom-com moment. I turned around (laughs) and saw them and I, Oh, that's really funny. You know, um, but uh, it, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, Working in that scene, you know, I, I love Amish paradise. Uh, I will, uh, I will tell you that. So I fought my way into being in the scene. I fought for it. Yeah. Tell, um, tell me. I was working as, as soon as I saw the very first official article come out, I, I went into super actor mode and I tried to, you know, uh, uh, get in touch with Wendy O'Brien directly and her office so I could audition by the time. And, so I had done this like man on the street thing for okay. uh Roku uh, the Roku channel has this TV guide type channel that it's like okay. Roku recommends. And so Roku recommends had a end of the year like, you know, clip show kind of thing that they did this special. And so I did a man on the street segment in this special with comedian Mikey Winfield, which was very cool. And so I, when I saw the announcement, I, I immediately went to, you know, the, all of the emails that I had from that booking to have them, you know, get in touch with Funny or Die so I could try to get an official, official principal cast audition. I I didn't pull it off, of course, yeah. because it's all, all of the principal cast had already been, you know, taken care of months before. But then uh, I went immediately to all of my background resources because I've worked with all of the background casting companies throughout greater Los Angeles. And so um, I got in, in touch with the, the, you know, the guy that I already had in my inbox for Jeff Olin. And I was like, uh, you know, you can, listen, I already have this Amish character, Jebediah, I already have the outfit yeah. Um, sent them a picture. I'm like, you have to, I have to, I have to be in this movie. If I don't, I will cry forever. I will jump <laughs> off a ledge. Um, and the wardrobe department was so impressed. Like I came, I came to the, to the fitting in the outfit. Of course, the only thing I didn't have was the beard. I do right. have a beard. I have a few of them actually, but yeah. <laughs> You know, they wanted to, <laughs> to do the full thing. And in fact, when I was when I was in the chair for makeup and hair, 
Uh, I don't know whether this was just, you know, the, the guy trying to lift my nerd spirit or whatever, but he's like, you know, who I just had in this chair. Oh, was so I oh with Radcliffe. This razor on Daniel Radcliffe. Cause I was a little, I didn't, I had a little bit of stubble. So he had to get me nice yeah. to apply the beard. And uh, I was like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. And Dan is so cool. Dan is just so cool. He, uh, you know, when we first started rehearsing for the scene, um, like as they were giving us our, our candles and stuff, yeah, he came over, he said, hello, he shook every one of our hands. Hi, I'm Dan Radcliffe. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was just, uh, you know, it was the coolest and, and seeing him, do that performance on stage right there in front of our eyes. Uh, I mean, it was, it was incredible. I, yeah. That's awesome. I man. enjoyed awesome. every second of it. Truly. It was fun. It was, a, it was, it was such a fun, uh, such a fun shoot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Went by too fast, too fast, 18 days. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I mean, you got, you were there, like you got to see the pace that we were moving at. Like we, yeah. you know, we, we, yeah. we, we Quick, had right. to get through Amish Paradise fast, real fast. You know, we had and our then, shots. As soon we as that would do- that was done, I think you were setting up for the the audience part uh, on the other side. Yeah. I don't know if it was that same day that you were sh- actually physically shooting it. No, it was actually no. We did. Um, so we shot the performance first, I believe. Yeah. Then, then Dan had to go get the. There was like a prosthetic that he had on his, covering his mustache. Uh huh. <laughs> so he had to go get that removed and everything. And then, then they just kind of laid it on top so he could pull it off when we shot that backstage. I've never been talking about that before. So then we shot the backstage scene with him and Demento and and the guys like, uh, yeah, that where Demento wants to adopt him. And while we were shooting that. They were building like the wall, um, the backdrop or whatever for uh, the the award show stuff, which we did. We did all of that, I believe, after lunch. Um, right. Where then, yeah, then we had. Uh, maybe we shot the audience inserts first, but but I, I I'll tell you where the day ended. We ended the day with. Um, with the speech, uh, the close-up shot of Daniel as he's giving the speech. Um, the second to last thing was him hoisting the award in the air. We almost didn't do the peeing the pants. Um, which like, which is funny. Cause like I wanted it. So Al, Al wrote that into the script at first. He pees his pants. Like, um, yep. I believe the stage direction was he pees his pants, like a star is born or a star is born style or something. <laughs> And, um, but it was like a rig, you know, they had to get a tube up his leg and they had to like do all this in retrospect. I'm like, could have just done it CG because we had to like sweeten it with CG anyway. But anyway, so we, uh, uh, we had this whole thing set up and, and they, and, and like, we couldn't, they're like, there wasn't enough time to do it. 
we were like running behind that day and we still had to get him giving the speech in the close-up, you know, be as weird as you want to be. Yep. And they were like, we got to move there. Like, we don't have time to do the pee. And I'm like, Al, I don't, we can't, I don't think we can do the peeing. And he's like, ah, oh, really? I really, and I'm like, right down to the wire, you know? And I'm like, I was fine with cutting it. I'm like, I don't think we need the peeing anyway. And he's like, yeah, it's so funny. And I'm like, let's just, let, let's cut it. And he's like, ah, I'd really love to get it. And like, right, right down. I'm like, all right, all right, we'll get it. We're ready to move cameras. And I'm like, all right, do the peeing, do the peeing. Like, it was like our last take, like make him pee, make him pee. So we did it. We, and, and then when we got to his speech, we, we did like two takes of it, like back to back, super close. That uh-huh. And it was like in the last, it was one of those days where we were watching the seconds count down before we had to wrap. It was like, all right. Okay, go. All right, I'm going to call action and we'll probably roll. Oh, you know, as long as we're rolling before mm-hmm. the clock strikes midnight and we all turn into pumpkins. Yeah. And uh, uh, anyway, we get it. Then we get into editing and Al sees the first cut of the movie and he goes, I think you can, I think we can lose the, him peeing his pants. I think we can cut that. And I go, I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's like cheap and gross and like it doesn't you don't need it. And I was like, dude, now I love it. I'm like, now that like we have right. it in there. Now it's got I'm like, I wanted to get rid of it when you wrote it. And but now that I see it, I love it. Now that you see it, you don't love it, but I love it oh, and I want to keep it. And like we went back and forth on the peeing and ultimately kept it. And I'm glad we did because it's just yeah. silly and random yeah, and like yeah. and i feel like by the time you get to the end of our movie you've we've earned the right to just do weird random stuff absolutely you know like things aren't as weird and random in the or early on you know it's it sort of builds steam and gets weirder as the movie progresses so i i always felt that by the time we're at that awards show it's just like no holds barred weirdness like a guy is setting up a giant gun yeah in the audience in the front row and no one pays attention and it's like Amazing. we could never do a joke like that in act one <laughs> like it just didn't wouldn't have worked it's like too yeah. crazy but now at the, the end it's like you get there yeah, yeah it's perfect the every moment of it is absolutely perfect uh, <laughs> i love it we we all love it um thank you i, I there there is so so much of your work that I, I mean, I, I would talk to you for days. I got to ask you about the grinder. How was that experience? Because I am, I, I got to tell you, I, there were a lot of expletives uh, said when they canceled that show. I love that show. Yeah, me too. I thought it was the funniest show on Fox that year for sure. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a great experience. It was really fun. I mean, I got to do one of the episodes with Timothy Oliphant, who I who I loved um, and still do love. Uh, I was a big Deadwood fan, and I mean, sure. I love him in Go. I've loved him in everything he's been in. Um, so I was really psyched to work with him to work with him and talk about uh, talk about Deadwood. <laughs> sure. Um, and it was really fun because he also had like a little bit of like a rivalry with Rob Lowe on set. I feel like he was kind of like poking at him a little bit because that's oh, yeah. what his character is supposed to do yeah, as well, yeah. which was fun to witness. Um, yeah, it was just such a uh, 
it was just such a fun show top to bottom. And it was my first time working with Fred Savage as an actor. I had worked with him. Well, I hadn't worked with him, but we had directed back to back on a couple of shows before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would like see him during prep or like he'd be shooting the episode and I'd come to set to just kind of get a vibe of like, what's the set like? And it would be Fred shooting. So it was fun to, uh, it was fun to work with him as an actor. Um, and that show, I was shooting that show. I was shooting that my episode when I found out that Sona Zorn got uh, picked up to series. Oh, great. So I got to like have my little exciting announcement awesome. while I was there on set. You great know? to find out about uh, about future jobs while you're physically on set. Yeah, I know. I know. It's better than finding out the show's canceled when you're on Ooh, set. I'll tell yeah. you that much. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, but uh but yeah, it's a shame that that got canceled. It was again like that was really in the tail end of shows that anyone had to, like network comedies that anyone ta- cared about or talked about at all. Like I feel like The Grinder and Son of Zorn were two shows that I, I like Fox should have just kind of kept them going for a at least one more season just to like I agree. Um yeah, it's it's uh it's a shame. It's a shame. Cause they were both like you know pretty well received. Grinder, I think, was more well received. It didn't ha- quite have the audience, but like Son of Zorn, uh, you know, the reviews were decent and we our 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 ratings like held steady with the Simpsons and Family Guy. We were in between the Simpsons and Family Guy, and like we would retain the audience th- throughout. That's a great place to be. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a great place to be. But you know, I don't make these decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a yeah. Uh, I listen to Rob's podcast, and he talks about it all the time. That you know, he, Rob Lowe's. Uh huh. Oh yeah? yeah, 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 yeah. He talks about Grinder all the time. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't uh, like the, like what what does he say? Just that he. It's kind of what I'm saying. Is it like? Yes, exactly. It, yeah, it's just a weird time to be launching yeah. a a network show. Yeah. yeah, it was such a funny premise too. It's like the best premise: a TV lawyer whose show reaches its end thinks that he can practice real law. And like, it was just, yeah, it was so, it was just so funny and so fun. Which is, which is to be said of, of so much of your work. Um, do <laughs> you want to do uh drama? You know, I would love to do a drama. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, all of the best dramas, in my opinion, have um, a lot of comedy in them. And it's comedy that just comes from, like, the reality of the situation that's being played or, like, the absurdity or character. Like, it's a, if it's a funny character, there's going to be scenes that are funny. Sure. You know, um, I, I don't know. I think about, like, my uh, of a show like The Sopranos, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Sopranos is my all-time favorite television show. Um, 
And I also think it is the funniest television show of all time, which is like, yeah. which is crazy because it's like a dark, you know, there's, there's a lot of darkness in it and, and obviously the mafia stuff. And, um, but it's so real and it just feels so like true to life and the way that like characters, you know, it's a show about a family really more than anything. And, and, and the way that that family fights the way they fight with each other just feels so real. And it's, it's like, just like holding up a mirror and it makes me mm-hmm. laugh. I don't know. It's just very, really funny and i like that i like comedy that just comes out of like the truth of of relationships and and uh the way certain people react to certain things and 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 i just think truth you know like like really finding the truth in in situations is so uh I don't know. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but but even mo- movies like, you know, like Boogie Nights and stuff or like, oh, yeah. like Big Lebowski. Like these are, I mean, I guess Big Lebowski is considered a comedy, sure. But like Boogie Nights is considered a drama. Yeah. But there's so much comedy in it. I, I don't know. But yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, like- but I would, I would love to, um, I would love to do a drama, really. Just to tell a story. I mean, it's just storytelling, you know, to tell a story. And it's a story that just doesn't have, like, jokes, I guess. But the style of it is the same style that I w- did weird in. Like, mm-hmm. weird, I did it. It's it's a drama that is just absurd. Like, what makes that movie a comedy is that it's we're being serious about unserious things. Um, And I think that I... I'd be okay being serious about serious things too. Sure. <laughs> I I'd really love to see you direct drama. I, I think it would really be a treat for, for audiences to, to see you do that work. I and- think something in the world of like a breaking bad or something like that, you know, like those, those types of things. Well, and the bear too. Have you seen the bear? Yeah. The bear I could do. Yeah. Yeah. Something like you know? that too. Yeah. I mean, just a, freaking brilliant show i came in late to that show and then you know i spent three days yeah yeah Uh, but that's the thing it's like like the bear it's there's so there's tension right it's got like the it's got the 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 tension and the release of tension uh, that presents itself comedically even though the scene's not necessarily comedic or the point of the scene isn't comedy, but it's funny just because it's like a character that's a train wreck of a human that's a fucking hothead getting just flying off the rails, getting mad about something oh, yeah. is just funny and entertaining. Yeah. And like the anticipation of knowing that that person's going to blow up or this or, you know the pot's going to boil over or, you know, this thing's going to catch fire or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's just something inherently comedic about, about all of that. Um, it's like when you're describing a story, when you're telling someone a story of something that like was an absolute terrible situation for you, like something like, uh, you know, I'm driving and my, you know, I hit a pothole. Uh, I'm supposed to go somewhere that I really want to go. And I fucking get, I hit a pothole and pop two of my tires and then I have to get towed. And then the tow truck driver 
gets in a fight with someone in the parking lot while they're there, you know, but like those things are, it's a terrible experience, right? And it's a dramatic experience. And I end up missing the thing that I'm going to do. But if I'm telling you that story, Mm -hmm. there's going to be so much comedy that just comes out of this like terrible situation that we could all relate to. Yeah. And it's, and you're laughing when you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's the comedy of like, oh my God, well, wait, it gets worse. And you're already laughing, anticipating the next bad thing, you know? And it's not so dramatic. I always, I tell a story about my dog. Uh, uh, I had a dog that died five, six years ago. Um, uh, lived a good full life. She was like 13 when she passed away, a little dog, but she was having heart problems and, and like, we knew that it was, it was like her time was up. Mm. Right. So I go, I'm taking her to the vet. And I was like, you know, to my wife and kids, I'm like, say your goodbyes. I don't think Daisy's coming home like this. Uh, you know, I'm going to go see what the vet can do about like letting her go peacefully. Yeah. Anyway. So I'm driving, uh, uh, I'm driving to the vet, which is in West Hollywood and it's, and it's Friday and it's like midnight. Right. And West Hollywood is like party central. Yep. So I'm on my way there and I have this dog, uh, you know, she's laying on like a couple of towels in the passenger in my car and she dies like two, two blocks away from my house. She breathes her last breath. Oh, right? no. <laughs> so, like, yeah. so the, so, and I'm set and I call my wife and I'm like, uh, Daisy's gone. I'm like f- crying in my car. And uh, anyway, so I get to West Hollywood and I'm and now I'm in like Friday night, West Hollywood traffic. And there's like literally like stretch hummers and like parking, like pulling up in front of me and partiers, um, West Hollywood gay area. So it's like, there are like gay men in like sparkly outfits oh that are just going to just throw down and have a great night. And yep. they're literally like dancing in front of my car. Like, yeah. Like, and, and I'm like, these guys have no idea that I'm sitting in here with right. I have a dead. Yep. I have a dead dog next to me. Oh. And like the absurdity, yeah. like the juxtaposition of those two things is inherently I comedic. hate this, Eric, but I love it. <laughs> right. right, right. And I always said that it feels yeah. like it's a scene from a movie Yeah, that I would laugh at. It's like the bittersweet comedy, yeah. you know, but just the absurdity of, of a situation, uh, the unexpected thing that happens in a sad situation is sometimes comedic so that's my late, really long-winded uh, way of saying like yes uh give me a drama to direct <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll, I, will, I'll do I will send you this piece of footage so that you can pitch this idea okay to whoever so that you can make that show or movie okay just just use this you know well i'll okay. send you the edit and then yes pitch pilot Okay. <laughs> I'm uh well, you know, uh rest in peace to your furry friend. Um thank you for sharing. And again, Eric, I could just I mean, I would love to talk to you for an entire week, but um we've really had a great conversation. I've had a great time chatting with you today. Um we uh you know, uh it took so long for us to finally come together and I really yeah. I so appreciate your time and I can't wait to see all of the other projects. Um, you know, this one that you're writing, I can't wait to see that. Um, you know, I, I just, I really do enjoy your work 
And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to keep seeing all the things that, uh, that are in your future and boy, oh boy, I really hope to work with you on one of those projects. <laughs> I, it would just be, you know, I, I worked with you on weird, but not, not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would truly love to, uh, you know, to work with you in a greater capacity on something, but, um, but thank awesome, you so much man. for joining me. Have a uh, yeah, thanks, man. And it was fun. And uh, yeah, next time I have something uh, something dropping, man, hit me up and we'll we'll, we'll chat again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, awesome, man. Good to see you. You as well. All Take right. Bye bye. Faux Real is hosted and produced by me, Dublin Wilder. I also coordinate talent booking. Logo design is by Chris McCaffrey. Social media is done by Oprah. You can follow the show across social media at ProRealPod, that's F-A-U-X. The outro music you are hearing now is Dynamo Rainbow by Christian Leo. Real is a production of Wild Entertainment.